3D print a shell to go around your patient, it will absorb the low energy beam and allow the high energy beam to go in and do its job. And it abated the problems with the skin. And so uh, uh, 3D printing runs on imagination. Hello, I'm Jim Fox, and welcome to the Luminovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation, creativity, entrepreneurship, and the creative people who make our world a better and more interesting place to live. This is one episode of a three-episode series covering the Houston Maker Fair that took place at the George R. Brown Convention Center in downtown Houston, Texas, on October 21st and 22nd, 2017. The sponsor of this show, Pizometry, had a booth at the Maker Fair, and we had our recording equipment set up in the booth and invited several different makers, creators, and innovators to sit down for a discussion. In this episode, we have a discussion with one of the founders of Re3D, a company that makes large format 3D printers. And then we will sit down for a few minutes with a fellow podcaster named Spaceboy from the Spaceboy Universe podcast. Welcome to the Luminovation Podcast. We're here with Re3D's representative, and his name is? Matthew, and I'm a co-founder and chief hacker for Re3D. Re3D, okay, cool. And you guys are located in Clear Lake down near NASA. We are. In fact, you've kind of borrowed uh, a few NASA employees along uh, the way, right? Yeah, so actually, uh, my co-founder and I uh, both worked at the NASA Johnson Space Center. Okay. Uh, I was for six years in the Neuroscience Laboratory before I left and started my own company. Okay, very cool. And uh, what is Re3D? We've jumped right in here. We haven't even mentioned it. So give a rundown on what you guys do. Sure. So Re3D is a young company. Uh, we got started in 2013, so we're about five years old now. And we actually build and uh, sell the largest affordable industrial 3D printer on the market. Uh, it's called Gigabot, and it comes in several different sizes or flavors. And the smallest machine uh, allows you to print something two foot by two foot by two foot cubed. Uh, and uh, it's an all open source, uh, open hardware, open software, and open firmware machine. And how big is your biggest one? And the biggest one has a build volume of 24 by 30 by 36 inches tall. So you can really make some, some good sized parts with that. Okay, and the typical desktop uh, 3D printer is maybe eight or 10 inches cubed. So we have about 30 times the work volume yeah. of the uh, average desktop machine, yep. Who are you finding is your, your your target customer, target demographic for your products? Yeah, so uh, we find that everything from libraries, the very progressive libraries that have makerspaces in them, uh, high schools, universities, uh, throughout the educational system is very important. They're really understanding the importance of 3D printing. Uh, this is a technology that's not going away. It, it's only increasing into the future. Yeah. So as they're uh, creating curricula for the schools, uh, they need that technology in so they can uh, let their students wrap their heads around this new way of making things. So it's a new uh, new manufacturing modality, and you really have to put your hands on it and find out what are the limitations and how does it let you succeed as well. And then, of course, uh, manufacturing, uh, using it for everything from prototypes to end-use products, uh, and then art, design, architecture, uh, even entrepreneurs who are creating products, and they need to have prototypes in order to take their 
uh, ideas to the next level, and 3D printing is the cheapest, fastest way for them to prototype and get through that uh, circular design process. Yeah, you can go from a uh, concept to a drawing and product in your hand in a couple of hours by way of the old school ways of manufacturing, either getting it on a mill or sending it off to get uh, somehow plat you know, injection molded or something, it's several days or several weeks. To, to be able to go through two or three rev cycles in a day is very handy and very, very quick. Absolutely, that's and, and then I think that's one of the largest reasons this technology is not going away is the versatility it gives us, and then uh, also the customization and personalization, right? So it allows you to make something different every single time off of that machine, uh, and there's no tooling cost because it's the same tool that does everything. Yeah, and so once you buy the machine, the raw materials, the, the filament is way, way cheap. It's a, you know, a few pennies or maybe a dollar or so per pound, right? So, so the raw materials is pretty cheap. Well, actually it's not, uh, and as you look around, uh, and one of the very interesting things that we're working on right now, uh, Re3D, uh, the raw material, the filament, uh, comes in many different types of thermoplastics, sure. yeah. and it's anywhere from 10, 15, 20, up to $40 per pound for this material for special materials. Okay, yeah. So it, it can be fairly expensive as far as uh, thermoplastic goes. Uh, so Re3D took a look at this and said, uh, why can't we just pour pellets, right? Okay. So everything in the world that's plastic, whether it's injection molded or likewise, it starts as a plastic pellet. And we've designed a, a brand new machine, a brand new print head that allows Gigabot to print straight from plastic pellets. So we pour the plastic pellets into a funnel on the print head and they go down and they directly print. So we're skipping over wow. that entire filament making process. If you think about the filament, there's a lot of money and energy embodied in manufacturing this very precise thread of filament. Yeah, and some of the 3D printers do get very picky if the filament is just the wrong diameter by ever so slightly, the, the wheels won't quite grab it. And, that's and right. so that's, that's good that you, you've found a way to kind of get around to that and, and streamline the process. That's definitely a good thing. So the, the, I guess the reason that I said that some of the filament is cheap is the typical PLA or ABS that a lot of 3D printers use is fairly inexpensive, but you're right, there are some more exotic materials that are doing some crazy things now, uh, and, and I'm sure those do get a bit more expensive, but talk about some of those different types of materials. Uh, what, what are some of the different things other than the, the PLA and ABS that, that are used? Yep, so what's great about our platform, the Gigabot platform, is that it's material agnostic, which means that any different material on the market that comes in three millimeter diameter and melts at less than 320 degrees Celsius, you can okay. just put it on the machine and run with it. And new materials are coming out all the time. So you, you mentioned PLA and ABS, there's flexible materials, rubber-like, polyurethanes, uh, the TPUs, the TPEs. Uh, there's materials that have additives uh, Some carbon fiber type things. Carbon fiber, in, right? Kevlar, uh, there's sawdust for like a okay. wood fill materials. I don't think uh, I've seen that one yet. Okay. It's, it's great when you're printing with it, it smells like wood shop, it's great. <laughs> it's a little bit different uh, technology, but there are even getting to be some metal 3D printing, printers. Uh, I've even seen uh, yeah, at a larger industrial like house size printers that, that use concrete. So. So the, the technology is, is, you're right, it's going, it's going to be here forever and it's getting bigger and bigger. Uh, it's, it's definitely changing. Uh, what is it that got you guys involved in making these things? Because um, MakerBots and stuff and those kind of smaller products have been around for several years now. Why is there a market for what you're doing and how did you get into it? Yeah, so we uh, actually manufacture 3D printers by accident. Uh, <laughs> we didn't intend to start uh, a company uh, as a manufacturer at all. In fact, my co-founder Samantha and I, uh, we met uh, while working at NASA Johnson Space Center in uh, 2012. 
and we were volunteering with Engineers Without Borders, traveling around the world uh, in Africa, Central America, and everywhere you go, you find plastic waste, and we asked ourselves the question, why can't you take that water bottle, that plastic water bottle off the ground, grind it up and put it into a 3D printer and make something useful for people? Sure. Uh, composting toilets, rainwater barrels, things at the human scale that truly benefit human needs, and there didn't exist anything like that. So the first step for us was to create the prototype of our Gigabot, uh, large format, something big enough to do a rainwater barrel, and we put it on Kickstarter in 2013, and had a very successful Kickstarter and realized there was this huge market segment that was being unfulfilled by a reasonably priced industrial 3D printer. So from just what you said, there's basically two innovations there. One is to be able to take material that is otherwise either going to be recycled in the traditional ways or just sit in a landfill and make it usable filament. So that's one innovation by itself that had not been tackled sufficiently and then also to make 3D printers at a large scale. How, did you treat those as two separate problems or how did that process work? Absolutely, so the first uh, solution for us was the uh, large uh, printer that could accept traditional filament uh, or non-traditional filament and that was what we put on Kickstarter. And okay. uh, we were able to uh, have such a warm reception in the market that uh, we stood with that, that Gigabot printer and continue to develop it. We're on our third generation of the machine. Wow, uh, what's okay. great is that when people buy a Gigabot, it never expires, which means every time we have an update, the technology is, is always changing, and very rapidly. Uh, it's a modular frame, and it's you can unbolt the print head or unbolt the electronics and put the new one on. Okay. You don't throw away the machine and buy a new one. Sure. So it's a platform and, and will take you into the future of 3D printing. What are some of the, the most unique things that you're users or customers have come back and said, hey, look what I made. Those Any, are the best emails I get, right? Yeah, they're really, the, yeah, the photos it's is like, like here, hey. Here's my creation, what right. can you do with it? And You're talking about uh, automotive uh, panels. You're talking okay. about uh, medical devices. You're talking about uh, Texas A&M University and their veterinary clinic. They take uh, medical data, imaging data, the CT, the MRI uh, of their patient. In this case, it was a small dog. And they were treating this dog for cancer, but one of the problems with cancer treatment is that uh, with the electron beam therapy, some of that energy from the electron beam uh, gets absorbed into your skin and causes skin problems. Okay. They figured out if you take and 3D print a shell to go around your patient. A heat sink. It will absorb the low energy beam and allow the high energy beam to go in and do its job. That's and it abated the problems with the skin. And so, uh, just, uh, 3D printing runs on imagination. And so so let's, yeah. let's review this. So, so they'll scan the patient's arm and figure out that this, this arm is of whatever shape and whatever length, print that part that is basically negative of the arm, yep. wrap it around the arm, and then yep. do the scan. Fits the patient perfectly, and it's, wow. it's uniform, and, and it allows it to control the therapy. That's, that's pretty cool. That's, that's, the, that's a, I guess, a fine example of something you probably never even imagined your machine would be a part of, and now look. Yeah, I, so. I have a very poor imagination when it comes to what to print. Uh -huh. uh, I think we did a really great job creating the equipment that allowed people uh, to, to utilize the technology at a price point where they couldn't have touched uh, an industrial printer otherwise. So you, it's about democratizing the capability for us. Can you cover that? Can you give some of the price range of your products here? Uh, what are we talking about? Sure. So the base machine, uh, the smallest size with the two foot cubed work volume, comes in two flavors. One's a DIY kit, you put it together yourself for okay. less than $9,000. Okay. Or you can buy it fully assembled, tested, ready to go for about 12,000. 
And then our, lar our largest standard machine is 24 by 30 by 36 inches tall, and it's about 17,000. We do custom machines as well, and we can go up to about four foot cubed. So that's, that's going to be a little bit above uh, individual homeowners or individual people to be able to buy it. Not totally out of reach, but it's out of the reach for most. But for companies, that's kind of chump change. That's really not that much money for a, a large company. Uh, especially for companies who are getting into 3D printing for the first time. Yeah. Uh, and, and they look at the price of other industrial printers on the market at $50,000, $100,000 and more, and they realize that for $10,000, uh, it's much easier to jump into the game and utilize the benefits of the technology. What kind of resolution can you get with yours? Uh, so, you know, I know a lot of the smaller ones that are readily available at the consumer level are getting uh, resolution now that are, it was unthinkable even four or five years ago. Uh, is, is, are those gains being scaled up into your products as well? Are you getting to be that really, really good resolution as well? It's super exciting to see all the advances across the board with 3D printing companies. The, this FFF, or Fused Filament Fabrication Printing, mm -hmm. uh, is one of the lower resolution types of additive manufacturing. There are other types of additive manufacturing that, like SLA or SLS, that do just in phenomenal work. But even with uh, our style of 3D printing, uh, I've printed down to layer heights of like 60 micron layers. Wow. Uh, standard print resolution can be anywhere from 100 up to 300 microns. That's amazing. That's, that's to the point where you, can't, you can almost not even tell it's 3D printed. <laughs> it almost correct. looks like injection molded, right? It is wow. super smooth. So several years ago when I kind of first started getting slightly smart about 3D printers, I, uh, somehow the vision came into my head that one day you would walk into Toys R Us and buy a Barbie doll and you would get a CD with it and the, the, the CD would have, here is the file to print out a new head when the Barbie doll head falls off or whatever, right? So are, are we at the point now where you go buy a standard traditional product and you can start printing out spares just on a whim? Is that, is that there, anywhere? There's some companies that are understanding uh, they need to jump in the game and be on the right side of technology as we go into the future. And what I mean by that is if you look at Hoover Vacuum Cleaners, you can go to their website and download files for attachments, print okay. your own attachments, okay. and maybe even customize those. They realize people are going to do this. You cannot okay. stop people from, say, designing a component, a replacement part, 3D scanning, uh, and, and integrating that into somebody else's product. But if you're a company and wants to be progressive, you'll, be, you'll create that community around you. So the, the world of, uh, I'll affectionately call us nerds that like to do 3D printer kind of things, if we're faced with the choice of going to Walmart and buying a vacuum, and, and I can spend uh, X dollars on vacuum A, and X dollars on Vacuum B, but I know Vacuum B has their drawings on their website. Why wouldn't I go buy Vacuum B, right? Exactly. So that's, exactly. that's that is definitely good that companies are embracing that. But but I've always envisioned that somehow in the toy world that toys get broken all the time, and you could just print a replacement part, just go to the website, or, or you got the CD when you buy it, and yep. you just forever print out spares. And I, I never even thought about it from a vacuum perspective, but it's the same same concept, same idea. Very cool. So uh, we are here at the Maker Fair in Houston, and you are one of about 140 booths here. How is this event in particular helping your mission? What are you doing here that, that why are you here at this event as opposed to somewhere else? You know, I'm a maker. Uh, our team are all makers. Uh, yeah. So the event really calls close to our heart. And uh, we actually got our start at the very first uh, Houston Maker Fair in back in Stafford. Our, uh, our sponsor, Posometry, the sponsor for Loom Innovation as well, was at that same event, and that's that was before they were on Kickstarter. So that's correct. So yeah. uh, we, you know, I proudly have the Stafford Maker Fair poster hanging in our office yeah. uh, at the Reef 3D headquarters, and uh, and and it's part of our heritage, and we love coming back and seeing all the friendly faces 
as well as uh, new people coming in and exciting things. So it's a great place to be if you're a maker or if you just uh, love to hear about things that are happening in the community and, and how do you uh, get involved with making in the different organizations. Great place to come for that. So, so we've, we've mentioned that before in the few other segments we've done today, but let's talk about specifically how did being at that first Maker Fair in Stafford before you were a real product or a real company, or maybe you were already a real company, but before you had really got full steam ahead, how did that help you grow? How did that make you get to the next step? Because there's going to be a company out there right now that's thinking, what do I do with this idea that I've got that I've not made yet? So talk about that, how did that help you? Absolutely, so uh, being a maker is, is inexplicably linked to being part of a community. And so by putting your project out there and getting feedback from the community it, and help to shape your ideas as you move forward, as you're designing, building, and thinking about the work that you're doing, uh, that's invaluable. Uh, so having many minds to work on something and being open to receiving that feedback is very important. Yes. And then secondly, I would say that uh, I met uh, uh, one of our employees who happened to share the booth next to us. Uh, he was not yet our employee, but uh, subsequently became an employee later on. Uh, so it's a great place to meet people, to collaborate your efforts, and to join forces with people, uh, because we, we have that synergy and that like-mindedness. So uh, what a great place to come to be among peers. Yeah, no question. There is definitely a lot of synergy here of, of like-minded people. It, it's, it's a place you can go and, and be a part of a group of people that are just like you, and, and that's definitely a, a good thing to, to want to belong. Uh, I, I remember also uh, when Posometry was at that event in Stafford, uh, before Posometry was actually a mass-produced, distributable product, it was nothing more than a handful of prototypes. And I know that being there and having people's hands on it convinced them that, hey, this is a product that people like. Mm -hmm. Just having it in front of people, as opposed to having it in your living room where you're the only audience. But having it in front of 50 or 100 people who sit down and play with the thing for an hour and a half is like, hey, there's a market here. Absolutely. So did you, did you get some of that as well with some of yours that people say, oh, look, this is a cool thing that I want to buy? And we may have been even a more early stage than you were at the time. Uh, so when we came to Maker Faire, we, we had the idea and a super rough prototype. It wasn't even a functional prototype of Gigabot at the time. And I really took a lot away from that and uh, took the product to a prototype, to a finished product after that. So uh, having, having that interaction uh, definitely was key for us as well. Yeah, it's a, it, definitely, it definitely helps a lot. Are there any other products here that maybe away from your uh, your main product that you come here and you look at a booth and it, it just turns on the the neurons in your brain's like oh man I got to go explore that later is there anything <laughs> I, that just really I turns think you there's on a here? little bit of everything here uh, I love to see the the new communities popping up so new maker spaces new organizations yep. forming uh, and it's that that community uh, that really allows people to move forward. Uh, and being organized in that way. So uh, the technology is always fun. It's, it's a new twist on this and a new twist on that. Uh, I think all of this runs on imagination and it's great to see that everyone brings it their game. Yeah, there's uh, one of the earlier episodes of the Lumen Innovation Podcast. We talked to the creator space in League City, Texas. And they have been around in various incarnations uh, for several years now. They've moved a few buildings or to a few different buildings over the years. But they're more or less the same groups. They've been around for, I don't know, eight or nine years. Uh, TXRX here in downtown Houston has been around for a similar number of years. Uh, there's a new one we just spoke to a couple segments ago out of Alvin, Texas. They've been around for just under a year. Uh, these things are growing. And as they grow more and more, it is definitely going to start changing the culture in ways that we probably don't have a clue yet. Right? So as, as the, you know, imagine as uh, maybe in the 1930s or 1940s or 50s, 
when every high school in the country started getting a basketball team or a football team and whatever. So that, that changed the culture in whatever way that did. And we're kind of at the very leading edge of this, is that every community, every neighborhood is going to have a place to go and 3D print a Barbie doll head or whatever, right? So it's uh, it's definitely an exciting time. We're right at the front edge of it, uh, even though it's been going on for a number of years. It's definitely definitely a neat thing to be a part of that. I think it's the, uh, the technology really makes it, uh, accessible technology makes these things happen. So when we have laser cutting and 3D printing and uh, low cost uh, tools and software in a way to connect people together, uh, then we have access to an outlet. Everybody's creative, everybody has ideas, and when you give people the opportunity to express that through a medium and allow them to create something, that's a very powerful uh, effect, and it's beneficial for everyone. I've always ha had a some kind of a weird vision that I don't even fully know how to encapsulate into a sentence, but but is there some merger coming between a laser cutter and a 3D printer? Some I don't even know what that means. I don't even know perhaps, what that could be, but, perhaps, but someone's yeah. dreaming of this the CNC-controlled laser cutter head that is also somehow printing. I, I don't even know what that could possibly make, but but someone out there is tinkering with it, I'm sure. But Additive and subtractive in the same machine. Yeah, and, and yeah. for what reason, I don't know, but it's always kind of stuck in my head that someone's going to come up with something that does that. And, but. Who knows? I can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be neat. What are some of the cool things you've seen here that are, again, maybe not related to your to your main product or the reason for being here, but just something you walk by and say, like, well, that's kind of neat. That's a cool thing I'm glad I saw today. I think the thing that most uh, piqued my interest is some of the rockets I've seen here. Yeah. Some of these rockets must be 15 feet tall or more. It's just incredible, some of the model rockets, and I don't even want to start calling them models at that point. It starts to become a much larger scale. Yes. So very, very impressive to see the larger pieces that people are making, uh, whether they're airplanes or rockets, but large-scale items. Uh, it makes me want to go and see them fly, really. Oh, indeed. <laughs> indeed. I think the DaVinci Labs we had on a few segments ago, I think at their booth, they've got some of those really large rockets. Uh, the Johnson Space Center Rocket Club, that may not be their exact formal name, but that's approximately what they are. Uh, they also deal with those large rockets as well. Uh, well, of course, NASA deals with much larger rockets. But there's a, a model rocket club there at the uh, Space Center, and they do that. I, I don't know if they're here today, but they probably should be if they're not. Uh, but yeah, there, there's definitely uh, cool stuff there. We saw um, the power tool races just a few minutes ago. That was kind of cool. Um, let's see, what else? What other 3D printer technology is here maybe with another booth beside you? What other kind of cool things are going on in that world? Uh, the really interesting thing is new materials coming on the market. I would say that uh, that's really what's opening up new avenues for people to, to have accessible 3D printing with specialized materials. Okay. Uh, and allows them to use it in their particular industry, their particular application. Uh, and then uh, the pellet printing is a huge one for us to be able yeah. to print from pellets instead of uh, the filament material, so totally skipping over top of the filament. Um, and then uh, just being able to print larger pieces. So uh, as you open up that build volume, allowing people to have uh, their imagination fill it in with new and exciting things, whether it's furniture or what have you. Uh, I think those are the exciting things for us that we see coming down the pipeline. Very cool. Uh, let's see, what else have we, how can people get a hold of you? What yep. are your, what's your website, your social media, and all of that kind of stuff? Absolutely. So, uh, uh, hashtag Re3D Printing. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, our website is re3d.org, so that's R-E, the number three in the letter D, dot org, O-R-G. Uh, happy to, you know, we, we love building that community. We love have that community in. We'll be having an open house soon. 
uh, go to our website, uh, check us out, and uh, shoot us an email. I'd love to hear from you. So you're down in Clear Lake, Texas, which is about halfway between Houston and Galveston. But I assume you do a lot of uh, mail order stuff, the web business. You, you ship a thing out to who knows where, Detroit or something, right? Yeah, so in the last uh, four and a half years, uh, we've grown the company, uh, and we have uh, customers in more than 53 countries around the world. Okay. Uh, and... Um, yeah, so we can ship anywhere in the world. Uh, it's, it's always fun shipping to a new country and, and figuring out exports sometimes. Uh, but um, yeah, it's fully accessible no matter where you're at. And so you, um, I guess we, we've spent just a minute here talking on, uh, you mentioned earlier on that part of your, the genesis of your company is doing Engineers Without Borders. Are you still working with them directly? And what are, what's some of the good work you're doing with that? Uh, you know, in, in fact, we, I, we haven't lately. Uh, that's okay. one thing that, uh, uh, what we're looking at right now is that uh, not only do we have a Houston office and an Austin office, uh, headquarters being in Houston, but we also have an outpost in Puerto Rico. So uh, we all know that a few weeks ago, uh, almost four weeks ago now, uh, Irma and Maria came through Puerto Rico, and, and Maria um, in particular devastated the island. Yeah. Uh, so we were lucky enough to get off the island just before the hurricane came through, uh, but we still have Gigabot down there. Uh, we still have employees down there on the, you know, on the island of Puerto Rico. In fact, my co-founder, uh, Samantha, is there today. Uh, wow. And so okay. uh, it's very important for us to find ways to help the community. Uh, we have resources on the island that are currently being used for rebuilding efforts. And our employees are working on uh, everything from uh, water pumps uh, to help distribute water on the island as uh, the infrastructure, the electronics, uh, the, the cellular networks, the water system, the electrical system, uh, they've devastated quite a bit of the infrastructure on the island. We have employees working on uh, 3D printing uh, coolers for keeping medications cold. These coolers can be easily strapped to the back of a bicycle or a motorcycle, as well as thrown into a car. But special uh, geometry uh, with like double walls with insulation, things that can be 3D printed easily to yeah. help the hospitals on the island keep their medication, keep the insulin cold while it's in transport. So wow. we're really focused on uh, these things, these social aspect. Uh, we started out as a social enterprise and a social focus as a company, and we maintain that to this day. So as we're doing work in Puerto Rico today and our uh, employees are working there, finding ways to help society uh, as they recover and as they rebuild from the devastation. Very cool, that's, that's definitely good that you're reaching out and doing that. We had a couple of visitors at the Pazometry booth here from, from Puerto Rico a couple of hours ago, and they were here in the States uh, on the mainland uh, when the hurricanes came through, so they didn't experience that firsthand, but they said that they, uh, their friends are okay back over there, so it's good to know that uh, folks are still reaching out and helping them. But uh, very cool. Well, thanks for stopping by, and thanks for having a, having a booth here at the Maker Fair. Uh, I'm super excited. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, I want to give a shout-out to everyone. And, again, I uh, would love to chat, so uh, pick up the email or telephone and uh, very give cool. us a call. Check out Re3D online. Uh, I'm sure they've got, I know they've got a Twitter account. I know Samantha Snaves has got a Twitter account she maintains, and I guess you're on Facebook as well, maybe? Absolutely. Okay, yep. very cool. Well, thanks for stopping in at the Illuminovation Podcast. All right, have a great day. Okay, thanks. Let's break out of the program here for a few seconds to give a shout out to our sponsor, Puzzometry, the hardest puzzle you'll never solve. If you love working on challenging, unique, and beautiful mechanical puzzles, then you've just got to try Puzzometry. P-U-Z-Z-O-M-E-T-R-Y. Puzzometry.com. 
They have three different puzzles to choose from, and all are for sale at Puzzometry.com. Check it out. You'll be glad that you did. Puzzometry can also be found on Twitter and Facebook. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Lume Innovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation. Before we get back to the program, I want to let you know that you can find all of the episodes of the Lume Innovation Podcast on our webpage, lumeinnovation.com. That's L-U-M innovation.com, lumeinnovation.com. We are also on iTunes as well as soundcloud.com. Welcome back to the Lumen Innovation Podcast. We're here with another podcaster here at the Houston Maker Fair at the George R. Brown Convention Center in downtown Houston. Welcome to the program, Space Boy. Well, thank you. Appreciate it, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, indeed. It's, it's good to have you on my equipment for once. I've been uh, <laughs> piggybacking on your podcast the last few years at these kind of events. Uh, what is your podcast? Uh, we are called Space Boy Universe. Okay. Um, basically, uh, I created a podcast uh, because uh, I was doing music. I like to tell the story that uh, did the music thing for a long time, and I wanted to do something different, but I didn't want to, you know, since I developed the Space Boy persona over these many years, I wanted to still do something. So I'd been very much interested in radio, um, big fan of Art Bell and uh, Coast to Coast AM, and, and I thought, you know, that would be a great idea to try that, because I already have the equipment to do the broadcast. Yeah, from your, from your music stuff. Yeah. Right, exactly. So it just kind of transferred into that, and, and the way I look at it is that I didn't want to be specific on one subject matter because even though I like the fringe topic, I wanted to do something that, you know, I love music and I like technology and, and it kind of s- snowballed into a thing where it's my universe and you're in it. So that was how it all started. So that's how it got created. Yeah, that's actually uh, a good thing to think about. So the Lumen Innovation Podcast here is set up to celebrate creativity and innovation, but I'm realizing that that is, well, I guess I realized that before I started it. But it is constraining that uh, just this past week I got an email to do a broadcast on a slightly different topic, and I certainly have not told them no yet, but I've got to rethink how to frame it such that it can fit into the, the kind of the definition of what we're trying to do with this program. Right. With yours, you don't really do that. If someone wants to come on and talk about cars, you talk about cars. cars exactly. And we yeah. do, I mean, the basic formula is there with my co-host, Solana, um, where we went, you know, we're a married couple. So we have that chemistry that goes back several years of being married. And then two, um, you know, the dynamics of, you know, the, uh, the angst that comes along with being married. Um, I could tell a bad joke and she rolls her eyes and she'll punch back at me. So that is always the foundation. But one thing, you're absolutely right, is when we were planning, or when I was planning to do the show, um, it was like I was very focused on, okay, I need something that's going to be going, you know, the longevity factor. And so that was very important to me, even though I wanted to do the show on French topics, you know, UFOs, uh, cryptozoology, and all that cool stuff that, you know, I'd heard with Art Bell over the years. Um, you know, I had other interests. And, and when I thought of the universe, I thought, well, the universe is huge, and it's, it's everything from A to Z. So I thought, this is perfect. Cover so, anything. Yeah, and I just kind of did. And you're absolutely right. Somebody can come on, talk about cars, 
Uh, the next show can be, uh, we talked about Nixon and the White House and the Watergate. Um, a show next after that is local Houston musician talent. Um, it's everywhere, it's, yeah. It's everywhere. And another difference between your show and mine, uh, other than you've got tons more experience than I do at this, <laughs> is that you uh, do most of your shows live, right? Yes, that yeah. was also a major thing, is that we wanted to do uh, uh, something that was different than the average podcast. You know, because okay. uh, the podcast, in a sense, has always got this, uh, inc uh, this idea of, it's backed up, you know, it's pre-recorded, and there's not many interactions. And it was important for me to have that dynamic there of spontaneity to have people call to interact with the show live. And yeah. in the way we did it was we found a program or a website called Spreaker, which allowed okay. us to do a live uh, cast and, and went it that way. So we always kind of tend to refer to our show as a digital broadcast versus podcast. because we, we want people to understand it. You know we're live. We're you know we're interactive, and we do that with our Twitter feed, and and then we have a chat that's inside our program, and it's really quite cool. Yeah, I know you guys sometimes even uh, reply on air to tweets as they come in. Oh yeah, and and do that interaction. I I've, when I do this, I I kind of try to keep a little bit of that same thing with uh, trying to keep it uh, keep it real, which means something different now in pop culture. But, <laughs> but, I, but I try to do very little editing uh, from beginning till end. I will edit in the middle to put a, put a, a shout out for Pizometry, the sponsor. I'll, I'll edit at the very beginning just to do an intro and at the very, again, very end to do an outro. But I do very little editing in the middle just to keep, you know, so what if we misspeak and say something wrong? It, it makes it a real conversation. Right, exactly. So and I, and I, that's important with our cast yeah. because um, you know, one, we're live, but uh, we, even when we've done some pre-recorded items, um, you know, vacations or other assignments that we've had to do, uh, we kind we know we have a certain amount of time period to fill, and we know when our breaks are, but we just, you know, hey, if we mess up, don't worry, we'll, we'll, I like yeah. to joke around, we'll fix it in post, but we really don't there because is no post, yeah. that usually those are usually the best moments we have. Yes, indeed. And in a previous life, I worked radio, so I, I do understand the idea of you've got to hit at the bottom of the hour, you got to do the, the call sign for the radio. At the top of the hour, you've got to do a little bit longer call sign. And you've got commercials here and there. So I, I, do, I can relate to that where you've got to kind of hit your marks. But, but uh, to do it live and do it real is, is a different type of programming and has a much better kind of a more personal or intimate feel to it. It's, mm -hmm. It is a different kind of show. Uh, that's that's very cool. You're here at the Maker Fair, and you are. I think is it true that you're the official podcaster of the Maker Fair? I I hear we are, but uh, you know we always get referred to it, and, and it's quite an honor. Yeah. Um, we love we love doing it. Last year, it was a great uh, experience, and um, you know also. Uh, uh, this young man over here, Cameron, has been he's a nothing pleasure. but trouble. He's yeah, a he's trouble always, maker. always up to no good. But uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's fun and uh, it's quite a pleasure to be known as the official podcast. Yeah, and you've you've been here uh, for the Maker Fair. Uh, Comic Palooza is a much bigger event mm -hmm. than we have here at the Maker Fair, and there's a ton more podcasters there. But you definitely do that. You do audio and video. Uh, your your uh, wife, Serlana, she does a lot of the video and and. It's definitely good. You're coming out and you're meeting a lot of people. You're you're mingling and, and networking. What are some cool things you're seeing here today at this event? Well, we're seeing a lot of old friends. Yes. It's always important. And um, I think but, you just called or, me old. Uh, well, I wasn't referring to you. Oh, but, okay, but good. If you good. talk to Cameron, he I think he referred to you old. But um, so, but anyway, uh, I think one of the major things as a theme I'm seeing a lot more now. Jim, is the uh, 3D printing. Yes. I mean, it is like game busters here. We just I mean, talked to uh, the guy from Re3D seconds ago, just right before your segment. So. Right. So, I mean, I can I can validate the fact that 
We've got a lot of people here promoting uh, 3D printing, um, and uh, it's just really great to see, uh, you know, the price is really coming down now. And you're yeah. going to see that over time with, you know, with more and more people investing in that. And, and it is quite an interesting thing. I'm, I'm actually looking to it because, uh, you know, I have my space helmet. I have an actual costume that I wear. Yeah, and, and that's in your logo as well. Exactly. Yeah. And so I've been thinking of uh, modding my helmet and doing some, maybe some 3D printing to make it lighter, make oh, it more updated. Very good. And so I'm actually looking into maybe getting a 3D printer myself. That would so. be kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, I've got one that I've uh, actually, I've owned it for several years. I bought it on Kickstarter. But it has been in the hands of some of my students for more years than it's been in my hands. So, uh, so I need to get it back and kind of start playing with it again. But, but they're definitely neat tools to be able to print things. The uh, noise that is probably coming through the microphone that you're hearing that maybe is threatening to drown us out is some of the power tool racing going on behind us. So yet another fun thing going on here at the Maker Fair. But hopefully it's not affecting our show too much. I hope you can still hear us. Uh, what some other things you've seen this this Well, more event? art cars this year. Um, yep. In fact, they have this one Scion that I'm really impressed with. Um, they used a lot of uh, Indian folk uh, art that is Alaskan-based. Okay. And I thought it was really cool. Like, if you've seen those totem poles, yes. uh, it's very similar to that art style onto the Scion. Almost pretty, I think it's a, almost like a brand new Scion. Um, that was really cool. Um, and then, of course, some of the other items, the virtual reality seems to be a big hit here, um, which is just another thing that keeps growing and growing with Oculus Rift and uh, some of the things that we cover on Space Boy Universe, definitely with gaming. So, yeah, I think what I take away mostly from today is 3D printing and VR, that's really hot right now. And then, of course, my favorite, some of the art cars. And that yes, was really cool. yeah, and we talked earlier on another segment that uh, there's a lot of activities for, for kids. Uh, and speaking of kids, I see one of my robotic students walking in now and waving at me. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, there's a lot of activities here for kids and for families. Uh, and that's definitely a good thing. It is it is absolutely a great event to come to as a family, to just come out and, and just find something from everyone. There's so much creativity here. Uh, talk about your, your show again. Let's go back to that. Uh, when, when do you broadcast? Yeah, we broadcast every Saturday nights at 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. Um, okay. And uh, uh, it's a weekly thing. Um, in fact, uh, you know, it's that. And plus, we've started a new project. Uh, called Data Bytes, uh, where it's uh, bite-sized pieces of the uh, the grid. Basically, if you like Space Boy Universe, you'll love this. It's a one-hour program that the SBU network has created for the Fringe FM, and so that's kind of a new project. And it uh, they air it at a specific time, and I don't have that number in front of me, and uh, but I can get it to you later. But um, yeah, so it's on the Fringe FM. And they, they are that. But as far as Space Boy Universe, uh, we have it on our spaceboyuniverse.com. Okay. Um, that's the best place to get to it. And from there, it branches out from there. We're all over social media, Jim. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you see yep. in our tweets, uh, we're, we're at the SB Universe uh, is our main tweet for the uh, universe. Uh, we're on Facebook. All you have to do is do the Facebook, uh, you know, search for Space Boy Universe. Um, also uh, connected to all that is uh, Space Boy Music. Uh, which I've been doing the music for a long time. Um, a lot of my music is embedded into the show. Yeah, indeed, that's your, your transition, yeah. your segues. So, yeah, yeah, so, um, you know, as far as the music is concerned, music's been in different programs out there. Uh, it, uh, just, it's been great, the kind of feedback I get from that. I'm intrigued. Uh, I haven't had a chance to ask you offline, so I'll ask you right here in the heat of the moment. <laughs> uh, talk about the Space Boy Network. What exactly does that mean? What is that? How does oh, that sure. work? Well, when we started off, uh, you know, we started... The thing was to build content. 
because yeah. uh, content is king. You know, everybody wants a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah. And so it was kind of going beyond the universe. And what we wanted to do is how can we kit this all under one umbrella? So we just borrowed from SBU and just turned it into the SBU network. So it's, it's basically Space Boy Universe branding, but it's just like, for example, Databytes is under that umbrella instead of just being under Space Boy Universe. Okay, so all the content is yours, but it is maybe a slightly different flavors of content. Exactly, in fact, okay. and when we had, we had, we were recently producing a show called The Quantum Hologram Matrix, and uh, the gentleman moved to another uh, state and had to end his program, but we did it almost for a whole year. Okay. So we had somebody come in and we broadcasted their show under the umbrella of Space Boy Universe Network. Okay, yeah. that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, you've got you've got uh, fans all over. I know you've got a, a strong fan in Canada that I see a lot of retweets from up there. Mm -hmm. uh, but you've got them all over the world, South oh. America and stuff. Oh yeah, most definitely South America. Uh, we've got a few in Africa. Uh, Europe is just uh, just covered, um, and uh, you know it's great out there. Uh, we get uh, weird posts. In fact. Um, we had a few in South Korea that was really interesting. Uh, so it's just, you know, we might get a few here and there, but it uh, seems like our, the bulk of our listeners, based on our uh, ratings, is coming from Canada and uh, Europe and parts of South America mostly. Any idea how many listeners you get per week on your, your primary show on uh, Saturday evenings? Yeah, it's usually between two to 5,000 listeners. Oh, my. That's, yeah. that's quite a bit. It, flex, it flexes up and down depending on the subject matter, but, you know, uh, the way we do the show, it's more uh, in our best interest to do a show that's more open than to be more specific. So do you, on, say, Friday, do you advertise, hey, we've got someone coming up tomorrow talking about UFOs, or do you just say, tune in tomorrow and find out what we have? No, actually, we once we end a show on Saturday by midnight, uh, Serlana and I are already talking about, okay, what are we doing next week? Or we've already yeah. booked somebody, yeah. so we kind of clued in to whatever. But usually uh, the show gets constructed over a week, uh, Solana does a lot of the research because she's the, the research person. Um, I interject my uh, my opinion and, and my point of view on it. Usually, it's funny. It, according to her, sometimes it bombs, but you know, it, it makes for the inter interesting show. Yeah. So that yeah, that whole week, and then we use a program called Hootsuite, where okay. we broadcast out to all our social media so we don't have to go to each one we do it one-stop shop and it goes out over, over all of them yeah, okay so that makes it much easier yeah so and as we get closer in the old days we used to do a video on wednesday on periscope okay and i've kind of gotten away with that i'm, I'm, I'm trying to get back to doing that um, it's a great way to visually uh, talk to people and kind of get feedback at the same time and let them know about what's coming up so you're talking about all of these different programs or content sources uh, is this your primary gig? No, actually, this is not my yeah. primary gig. Uh, you know, it's the old adage, uh, I'd love to quit my day job, kind of thing. Professionally, I'm an IT uh, desktop support guy, okay. and so IT is kind of in the blood, And but uh, it pays the bills. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'll be honest with you, at 5 o'clock, I'm out of there. I'm thinking, You're thinking stick podcast. it space boy. I'm in yeah. my rocket, and I'm ready to head to the stars, you know, so... <laughs> yeah, with, with your show, you do it every Saturday, and with mine, I do it whenever I either get time or I find an interesting story to go go uh, go and talk about. Mm -hmm. So I don't have the hard deadlines, per se, uh, but with yours, I'm reminded of a story from an author, Bill Bryson, who is now a, a book writer, but he started out as a newspaper writer for uh, London Times, and I think he even wrote for the New York Times for a while. 
But uh, he's like, you know, the thing about a weekly column is, damn it, it's every week. Right. <laughs> well, like and the will tell you, uh, she likes to sleep late. She says, you know, I've worked all week. I want to sleep late kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, no, kind of. Saturday's our day. we got to get up, yeah. make sure the show's on target. And, and I think I'm the more strict when it comes to the guidelines of, okay, we got to get this, this, you know, certain benchmarks we have to hit through the course of the week and in that day. And, and it does get to a point where, man, I really would like a day off. And I get to that point where, okay, I'm ready to take a day off. And then, like, no, I'm back on the mic. And then yeah. I get that, you know, the, the space cadets is what we call our listeners. And, uh, and they're feeding back to me. And, and it's just, it makes it all worthwhile at the end of the day. Very good. And yeah. I've, I've always thought about you guys on Saturday night, which is typically a night to either relax around the house or go out or go to dinner or go to the bars or whatever it is. And you guys are trapped behind a mic and seem to like every minute of it. Yeah, we do. We enjoy it. Uh, and uh, Sirlana will tell you, she says, at least I know where you're at. Uh, you're <laughs> not true. You're not out there, you know, being a hooligan or something like that. And, and that's Cameron's job. He's the one that's the hooligan. Yes, he is the hooligan, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Any uh, anyone last parting words here? Uh, shout out to how to get a hold of you, how to find you. Well, once again, Jim, what, yeah. thank you for being allowing me to be a part of your cast. And uh, the easiest way to get us is spaceboyuniverse.com. Yeah. Like I said before, we're on social media uh, at the SB Universe, um, and then of course uh, on Facebook. Just do a search for. Space Boy Universe, also on YouTube. We okay. do the videos. Yeah. Uh, Space Boy Universe. And um, let's see, finally, uh, if you like some of the music you hear on our program, check it out on spaceboymusic.com. Okay. And the music is there. It's, it's just really good stuff. And uh, even Grandma likes to bug out to it. Hey, one thing I wish I had thought of 10 minutes ago, because we're going to run out of time, but I'm just going to kind of outvote and we're just going to run on because I've got a whole new thing is I'm kind of new to, I'm not new to broadcasting necessarily, but I am new to podcasting. Mm -hmm. You've been doing it for a while. Uh, there's bound to be others out there that are thinking of, hey, I've got a message I want to get out to the world. Mm -hmm. uh, what is your advice uh, for a new person to get out and actually say, yes, go buy the equipment, go start doing podcasting? How, how do you, uh, what do you suggest for people to get started? Well, right off the bat, if you've got an interest, that's great. It means you're interested in something. And the first thing is that before you get behind the mic, Kind of get an idea what kind of uh, what's the message you want to convey. Kind of tighten it up a little bit, you know. And then once you pretty much have a solid idea, a vision, if you will, uh, then go ahead and buy the equipment. Now, a lot of people think, oh, I got to buy hundreds of dollars of equipment. It's not the case. Yeah. As long as you have a laptop, a microphone, a headset, uh, those are the basics to get the the whole thing started. And then you can use a program called Audacity. It's free. It's out on the internet where you can record your cast. And then from there, it's just a finding uh, um, a place to just upload it. Uh, SoundCloud is a great one. It's free, yeah. uh, the basic model. Um, so there you go. It's, it, you can start off shake and bake, and as things grow and your audience grows, then you can start adding uh, things to make it more professional. Yeah, I've got a, a rig at the house that, uh, that it turns out I don't use much because most of my shows are out actually in the field, uh, in the art studio as I did a couple weeks ago or here at the, this event or out across country somewhere. So I take the, my, my traveling rig with me uh, and it com it's comprised of an iPad, which I already owned, mm -hmm. and this uh, Focusrite iTrack dock I bought for $100 at a pawn shop. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, I was admiring it because I have, I have the, uh, a similar product by them, and it's really this great. Is, this is great. I've, I've really enjoyed working with it, and it, like I say, I've already had the iPad. So, so for basically $100, bucks and the microphones we're using here are, are not cheap, but they're really good quality. Right. So I spent way more money on the two mics than I did on the recording equipment, and, and that's really all you need. So a couple microphones, uh, some 
crap, you can go buy at a pawn shop <laughs> and, and an iPad, and you're good to go. And I think this would even work with the iPhones. I wouldn't even need an iPad. Right. And then I edit it on, uh, on GarageBand on a, yeah. on a Mac. So, so yeah, you, you don't need a $3 million budget to go do this. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, it's very cut and paste kind of situation to start off. But like I said, once you start getting your groove, in fact, that, I, this is important, Jim, is that um, you know when diving into something, you don't want to go full hog and, and buy the whole farm. Yeah. You, you go ahead and, and just you know dip your toe into the pool, so to speak, and and just buy a little bit, you know, and see if that works out for you. Because if at the end of the day, it doesn't work out for you, you haven't lost a lot, but you've gained the wealth of experience, and yes. you can take that with you whatever you decide that you're really tapped in to do. That's right, and uh, Cameron, the fellow we've had a lot of fun picking on, he has kind of found his own home in this same kind of thing, but with YouTube videos and a YouTube channel, and you and I are doing the podcast thing, so anyone that's out there interested in doing this kind of stuff, just give it a go. It's cheaper than you think, it's, it's easier than you think to get started. Uh, certainly you can argue that uh, as you go, you'll learn and, and, and get better, and maybe it takes a while to get really good and get, get a really pristine show, but so what? You don't need a perfect show to get started. Just get out and get her done, right? Yeah, it's, it's the old adage, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice. Practice, you practice, practice, practice. So that's all you have to start is just keep doing it. And and we've done it for two years now with yeah. the, the broadcasting. And, and our initial, you know, we've listened to our past shows, Jim, and, uh, you know, they weren't that great. But, you know, with time and, and, and see, we never thought we would be at a place like this. Yeah. Doing the Maker Faire, you know, doing this. And and it, it just took a lot of practice and, and fine-tuning our technique and look where we're at. Absolutely, and I noticed that even the, the shows I put together, then I, 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 I won't speak to say if the quality is better or worse, it's for you guys to decide, but I know I'm getting quicker at it. I can get the same result uh, in a much quicker session in front of GarageBand on my Mac, so it's, uh, it's definitely helping me do it more and more. But Well, cool. Well, thanks for spending time with us, Space Boy, and Sorlana is around here somewhere. She's ran away, who knows. But uh, thanks for being a part of the show. Well, thank you, Jim, for letting me be a part of your show. Cool, and thanks for the uh, listeners to Luminovation Podcast. See you next time. Thanks. I'm Jim Fox, and thank you for listening to the Luminovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation, creativity, entrepreneurship, and the creative people who make our world a better and more interesting place to live.